This is Closer to the Fire from the Voice of the Martyrs Canada with a focus on the persecuted church. Recently, 29 evangelical Christians were arrested in the East African nation of Eritrea when Eritrean security forces raided a home prayer meeting in the capital city of Asmara. According to reports, 17 women and 12 men were taken to the Mysura prison camp on the outskirts of Asmara. It's not known what led to this attack, since worship outside of government-recognized churches is illegal, most gatherings take place in private homes. However, each residential area is known to have government spies who report unusual activities to the authorities. Now, over the years, the followers of Jesus in Eritrea have been held indefinitely without charges and sometimes for weeks. There's also numerous cases in which people have been held for several years without being charged and many even longer. And joining me to talk about the situation facing the followers of Jesus in Eritrea is Dr. Brahani Asmalash. Now, he is a medical doctor and director of Release Eritrea based in London, England. And he, too, spent almost a year in prison for his Christian activities. Thank you for joining me, Dr. Brahani. Thank you for having me. Now, we have talked, uh, you know, in the past about the situation in Eritrea. Just when we think things are getting better, they don't. People are arrested. Uh, and, I mean, it's a very volatile and very fluid situation. But in terms of this latest arrest of these 29 evangelicals, what are you hearing? Uh, this recent arrest is not new. We have experienced several uh, new arrests for the past six months. And to start with, uh, some senior uh, full gospel pastors were arrested a few months ago, uh, and they are in their 70s. Uh, and at the same time, other members in the leadership were also arrested. Uh, again, about six months ago, 15 Christians were arrested. These 15 were those who were in prison for many years. And we are hoping that they will be free forever, but they are back to the place where they were. All of them are uh, at Maestrowa prison. And this recent arrest is also, as I say, it is a continuation of the government's policies of uh, cl um, clearing Eritrea from all evangelicals. This has started 20 years ago, and still it is going on. It is the same. Sometimes we um, see some hope when uh, prisoners, uh, Christian prisoners are released, but we never uh, believed, we never trusted the government. We knew um, that they do it for the sake of international attention or propaganda. So the government hasn't changed its policy towards Christians, and they are always in and out. But this recent is a bit um, high number, and we hope they will get released soon. Uh, but that's what the situation in Eritrea is. Why do you think, Dr. Brahani, uh, these believers were arrested? I mean, they're they're meeting in their homes. They're not, uh, you know, meeting in public buildings. Of course, they can't do that because that, uh, for evangelicals, uh, that is illegal. Uh, but why would they target these particular Christians at this time? Especially these Christians um, are seen as uh, illegals in Eritrea. So 
although we uh, these people were in a in a meeting, but individuals uh, individual Christians also have been picked up out from their houses. For example, the senior uh, full gospel uh, leaders were picked up from their houses. Uh, it was not in a meeting. So sometimes they use the gathering as an excuse, but people from their work, from the street, um, have been collected and sent to uh, prisons. But in general, in Eritrea, everything is uh, controlled by the government. It is a, a totalitarian government, so nothing is allowed. It, I know it is um, severe for Christians, because Christians always face this double uh, persecution. One is just for living in Eritrea, as every Eritrean is facing. But in addition, being an evangelical Christian is also make you a prime target. So that's another problem. Right. And I mean, this has been going on since uh, May 2002, and the government uh, told evangelical churches that they had to register. And we know in this 20 years, uh, that really hasn't happened at all. Uh, many Eritrean evangelicals have left the country. And even those uh, from the Orthodox Church that are supporting evangelicals, they've also uh, run into trouble. So for those that are not as familiar with the situation in Eritrea, Dr. Brahani, and so May 2002, uh, when they said, okay, you've got to register now, why was there so much fear uh, towards especially evangelical Christians? Yeah, it's about control. Uh, for example, the, for, uh, it was easier to control the Orthodox for the government and the Lutherans because uh, it is hierarchy. The hierarchy goes from up to down. So if they control the leadership, they would control the whole congregation. But with evangelicals, we are so independent. There are a lot of independent church. So it was difficult for the government to control. And uh, also about the enthusiasm, you know, uh, for um, traditional uh, religion, uh, people just go to church on certain dates, uh, especially some of them, they go on Christmas and Easter, and that's all. But for evangelicals, they are very serious with their faith. They say no to something that doesn't suit them. Uh, another thing is, it's about the worship. Uh, most totalitarian uh, leaders, they wanted to be worshipped. And when Christians, when we say Jesus is Lord, for them it is like an insult. Mm. Because they want to be Lord over the land. That is the typical character of, our, uh, of the Eritrean president. He only wants to be seen as the only person. It, it is uh, the same like what's happening in North Korea. He does, he wants, you know, to be worshipped. Just obedience is not enough. You have to worship him. You have to fear him. So the Eritrean government wanted to spread fear among its citizens. And he's not going to get that from the evangelicals. Because evangelicals, we know, we only fear God. We only worship Jesus. We don't worship uh, men. So th that's also another, uh, they, they see it as a threat. Another thing also, it is uh, international nature because evangelicals, we see all Christians, uh, the global, uh, the wide world 
Christians as our brothers and sisters. Mm -hmm. That's what makes them uh, insecure because they want to isolate their own people from the outside influence and they just they wanted to you to believe what they say over their TVs and radios. In Eritrea, there is only one TV station and one radio station, and people need just to listen to that. So that that's uh, also another thing. Yeah, you know, when you talk about the situation in North Korea and the Voice of the Martyrs, we've been, you know, covering what has been happening in North Korea for many years and often is the most dangerous place in the world to be a follower of Jesus. And then we see that same situation in Eritrea. And it really goes back to the situation that was facing the first century believers. Uh, they wouldn't worship Caesar. They would worship only Jesus. What have you seen, Dr. Brahani, over the years? How has that impacted uh, the followers of Christ that have either they couldn't leave Eritrea um, or, uh, you know, they've decided that they want to stay there and uh, try to tell people about Jesus? But I imagine like 20 years of this has got to take a toll on the followers of Christ. Um, all these Christians, they have their personal conviction to follow Jesus. They, were, they are not following their uh, families, their parents, religion, so they have their own, own conviction. And they have experienced, you know, life with Jesus. And for many, it's, it's better to die than exchange, you know, release to their faith. Uh, that's what they feel. I, I've, um, um, I, I meet a lot of uh, ex-prisoners outside Eritrea, and whenever they share their faith, None of them have ever regretted for following Jesus Christ. They see it, they are suffering as joy. So sometimes when we see from outside, uh, it looks like these people are losing a lot as losers, but they are not. It is their own choice. They choose to worship Jesus. Wow. And not, no one is going to take that from their life. They, uh, some of them are persecuted by their families, by their community by the government, but in spite of all these uh, persecutions, they stand firm, and nobody is going to erase that. Uh, we have a lot of martyrs in Eritrea, those who died for their faith. I know some of them, but even if we have to give them a second chance, I don't think they will regret it, because they wanted to die for the person who whom he died for them. Jesus gave his life for our sake. So when it, whatever we give for him is too little. It's the same as Christians in the New Testament, like Stephen, when he was stoned to death. Right. He was, he, yeah, he, he, his eyes were looking upward to Jesus and he was filled with joy. His face was looking like an angel. Why? Because of his relationship with Jesus. So that's what we see in all Christians, Eritrean Christians. Christianity, we have more Christians in Eritrea now than 20 years ago, because Christianity doesn't come because people allow us. It's, it doesn't come because people give us permission to worship. Whether they give us the permission or not, we are going to worship Jesus. So that's what we see uh, in Eritrean Christians. I have the privilege to talk to a lot of uh, ex-prisoners Christians, always my heart fills with joy. Uh, I, uh, I'm proud for 
uh, who these Christians are. So that's what I observed from all Christians. Yeah, it is very encouraging, you know, when we see that in spite of the persecution, uh, the kingdom of God is still advancing in Eritrea. You know, and having worked with the persecuted church in many nations over the years, uh, you know, persecution, uh, and again, depends on how strong uh, the, you know, the church is in a particular country. But persecution comes if the church is more nominal or it's a state church, and then the persecution comes, it can really devastate the church in terms of people coming. But when the church is strong, and we've seen that being the case in Eritrea, uh, you know, before the, you know, the shutdown by the government back in 2002, uh, the church was growing. But it's so encouraging to hear that in spite of, you know, arrests and Christians being put in, you know, shipping containers and military prisons, and, and, and some have even died as a result of, you know, of the persecution, you know, the kingdom of God is still moving forward in Eritrea. And so that's very very, very encouraging. You know, Dr. Bahani, what is the situation then right now in terms of how many Christians are, you know, in prison? Again, I mentioned the shipping containers, the military prisons uh, where these uh, recent believers were taken. Uh, do we have any idea how many believers might be still uh, under arrest and, and in many cases still waiting trial? Yeah, the, the name whom we know are in the slide over 200, maybe 220. But we can uh, imagine, you know, um, a lot of uh, place in Eritrea is, is there is no access, uh, there is no communication, so it's difficult to know, especially those in the military service. But uh, we believe over 220 Christians are in prison now. And I know in the past it's been into the thousands, so. In some ways, it looks like it's getting better, but, you know, as we've been talking about, uh, you know, some are released and then they're put back into prison. Uh, and in a moment, I want to talk about, uh, you know, a couple of men that we have been following with the Voice of the Martyrs for a long time, Haliniski and Kiflu Gebramesko, uh, because they've been in prison, I think, since about 2004. But before we do that, uh, are you encouraged when you hear of organizations like Amnesty International, uh, when in 2002, they stated that no one should be held in such horrible conditions, I mean, for their mental and physical help. Uh, it, it, does that bring you some encouragement that, that uh, international organizations like Amnesty International is reporting on the abuses of, of Christians in Eritrea? Yes, it does, but we are not satisfied. Uh, they, they need to do more uh, because when we compare to human rights abuse in Eritrea, uh, there are very few countries that uh, look like Eritrea. So we expect more from uh, Amnesty International and from other international organizations. But any comment like that encourages us, of course. What more could be done then from organizations like Amnesty International that, you know, I mean, we, of course, the Voice of the Martyrs and our partners, you know, continue to bring attention to it and in helping ways and can't talk about everything that we're doing. Uh, but certainly we don't have the, uh, you know, the kind of influence that organizations like Amnesty have. So what more could they be doing uh, to help our brothers and sisters there? Uh, I remember when Helen Brahana was uh, in prison, they were highlighting her name and they were put in all newspapers, her picture, and the pressure was so high. So that's why she was released. And they need to do some uh, prisoners profile. You know, these prisoners are not numbers. They are real people who have been held 
in this horrible um, situation for 18 hour, uh, years now. So they need to highlight these uh, people's you know, profile and uh, put pressure on the Eritrean government. Some people say Eritrean government would not bend for any pressure, but he would because uh, he needs money. He, he needs you know, to do some business. So that's what I always encourage governments, the UK government, Canada government, the US, and particularly also this, all those human rights organizations. Uh, they need to mention, um, especially those who are in prison by, by their names. Is it a little disappointing that sometimes Eritrea does get forgotten because it's relatively a small country compared to, you know, say China and Nigeria and other nations like that where there is heavy persecution going on? Yeah, yeah, sure. Um, because Eritrea uh, has no significance, you know, when it comes into international, uh, what you call economic or anything. So it's easy to forget it. But what I always say is we have the same people in, uh, like in, in, in China or in Eritrea or in Nigeria, in the other places. So people are people and people are suffering. And actually it's sometimes much easier to put pressure on smaller countries. So they should not forget uh, our Christian brothers. Uh, in Eritrea. So that's why we always, we want to keep uh, the, the news, you know, uh, on. I remember when we started campaigning for the release of Christian prisoners in 2002, uh, a lot of the Eritrean government supporters were saying, oh, you'll get tired and soon you will forget them. Mm -hmm. But we promised not to forget them. As long as I live in this world, I will never forget all these Christian prisoners. I believe we are called, you know, to share in their pain, in their suffering. So there is no other life uh, out, uh, outside of that, because we are part of the body of Christ, and part of our body is suffering. So we cannot forget. Yeah, well, Hebrews 13.3 tells us yeah. to remember yeah. those in prison as if you were in prison with them. And, and I know yeah. for me personally, because I had the privilege of being in Eritrea and, uh, and meeting some of the uh, men that have been in prison for many years. And in fact, recently, yeah. one of them, Kadani Gebremeskel, who I met, is now living in the United States. And we had him on a previous podcast and also on the TV program I host, 100 Huntley Street. Uh, so there's some of these great stories that I've released, but uh, we know that in the case of, you know, Kiflu Gebremeskel and Holly Niski, that uh, they've been in prison for many, many years, I think about 2004. Have you heard anything more about their situation? I mean, they were significant leaders uh, in the full gospel church, which a church at the time was of thousands in the capital of Asmara. Have you heard anything more, Dr. Brahani, about their situation? We, we don't hear much about them because visitors are not allowed. Sometimes people see them when they go to see doctors and they don't talk to them. So um, I haven't heard anybody who spoke to them recently. Uh, I know they are alive um, but it's difficult to communicate with them. Yeah. 
Yeah. And I know I've talked about them, you know, often in my meetings, almost every time I, you know, uh, I'm speaking in a church uh, because of the personal connection. And also because I'm reminded that, you know, their children have grown up uh, without their dad. Um, and I know that I have had the privilege, you have well, of seeing your children uh, being raised and getting married and all those things that uh, maybe, you know, we take for granted. I don't anymore. I, I can tell you that much. Uh, but we continue to pray and that there will be a reunion, uh, you know, ultimately a reunion in heaven, but before then that they would be reunited. I mean, those years, those 18 years will never be replaced. But uh, we do, you know, continue to pray that God will work. And we have seen uh, that happen in the past. Now, you yourself, Dr. Brahani, you spent 11 months in prison because of your Christian work. Uh, you even saw fellow prisoners led away to be executed. Uh, tell me about what you faced and why you were arrested. You know, during that time, they don't tell you why you were arrested. But when you are different, you are uh, are on target. So when I was uh, uh, arrested, I was working in a small uh, town south of uh, south part of Eritrea. It's called Adikaye. I was working in a hospital. So somebody called me and said, "Oh, we are were told to arrest you and send you to uh, Asmara." So I was arrested, and they put me on an army convoy. Uh, so I was uh, sent to. Uh, to Asmara. I was tortured, but they were not saying anything. Whenever I say about Jesus, they were saying, you are um, like, you are following capitalist religion or something like that. Uh, but I was not charged. Uh, finally, when I was released, they gave me um, a piece of release paper. It says, uh, I was um, anti-revolutionary, but now I've been um, uh, taught, or I, I so uh, now I understand about uh, socialism or communism. So that's why we release him. But uh, actually, I never attended any class. So just a lie. And oh. uh, in my file, it says uh, high level anti-revolutionary. So that's what they always give you names. Uh, so I don't understand what it means. And they were not specific when they arrest me. So, uh, but I uh, was a Christian, um, I was preaching, and they were warning me not to do that. But I carried on smuggling Bibles to prison. And we had Bible study, we had like small church inside the prison, we were praying. And always I was being called to the administration to stop it. But I told them I will never stop it. And those who were in prison with us were prisoners of war from the Eritrean fighters, and there were also some communist uh, uh, leaders from the Ethiopian government and the other uh, criminals. So you have all these challenges, but I, I have this phase. I was strong in my Christian phase, although I was new at that time, but I kept on sharing uh, the gospel of Jesus. And uh, finally, I was released. Uh, and as I told you, I was told uh, I was counter-revolutionary. Uh, but now uh, uh, I have learned enough. So that's what they say. Why was your faith so strong, you know, as, as a new believer? 
I mean, and again, I've heard many testimonies, uh, you know, from Eritrean Christians that they're warned, you're going to get put in prison, you're going to be taken from your family, uh, you could die in prison. I mean, those are pretty significant threats. So what was it about you, Dr. Brahani, and, and other believers there, that regardless of these threats and intimidation, you still tell people about Jesus? Yeah, because for us, Jesus was real, uh, and he was only our only comfort. And I knew uh, even if I was going to die, uh, at least I would be with Jesus. So that's why I had no fear. Uh, I remember there was a Christian prisoner who was with me, and uh, we were praying together. We had to work Bible study, but later they took him, and they uh, he was um, he was killed extrajudicially. Even he never went to court, but he left me a verse from. First uh, Corinthians chapter 15, verse 19. It says, if we hope to Christ just for this life, we are uh, losers or we are the most, uh, what you call, uh, to lose. So uh, when I read that, uh, I was in, uh, encouraged. He was young. He was, I think, in his early 20s. Uh, but it's because of his Christian life, his Christian activity, that's why he was... He was murdered. He was in the army, uh, and he was sharing the gospel to the uh, soldiers. And then finally, he was he was killed. Oh, and yeah. I remember when they were taking him, we hugged together, and he said, uh, "He's ready." Uh, so he's always in my in my heart, but I don't see him as a loser. Uh, we no. well, one day all of us were going to die, but I could see Jesus waiting for him you know, uh, accepting him. So um, I have this uh, feeling at that time, uh, Jesus was real and uh, sharing the gospel of Jesus was my joy. I remember one day um, there was one uh, pastor in the prison and he asked me, he, he was uh, having prayer and fasting. Uh, that pastor, he was not, he didn't accept the, the arrest. So he was praying to be, to get released. And he's, he, he asked me if I have any word from, from God. And I say, at that time, I'm not, I, don't, uh, I don't know what it means, but I say, I feel God is saying that we will stay in here because we have a lot of work to do. Because many people were uh, coming to Jesus. So I like, you know, being there, be, staying there. Of course, I miss my family. I wanted to get released. But at the same time, also, I wanted to stay because I love also the work that I was doing. So uh, when your faith, you know, uh, starts to be seen in your life and others feel it, others see it, you really enjoy it. So that's what uh, was happening during that time. Wow. Uh, I mean, again, the commitment level, and we know that's the kind of commitment that Jesus calls us to, you know, to take up your cross, follow him, deny yourselves, and all the things that are harder for believers. I know here in Canada, there in the UK, and many parts of the world, but it is the teachings of Jesus, and our brothers and sisters, yourself included, have literally taken that to be true, and that's what's motivated you to keep on going. So how did you eventually then, uh, you know, get out of Eritrea and then end up in the United Kingdom? Yeah, yeah. This was, uh, my arrest was a long time ago. It's not with this government. It was with the previous uh, government. 
uh, after I was released, I, uh, I carried on with my studies. I studied medicine. I became a doctor. Then uh, I was working in different hospitals, psychiatric hospital. Then I became a full-time minister in my church in Eritrea. Then I uh, came to the UK to study theology. But while I was studying theology, uh, the situation in Eritrea changed, so I couldn't go back. So that's why I stayed here. And that's why I'm working for Release Eritrea. Well, tell me about Release Eritrea then. Um, again, you have, you know, incredible uh, passion for our brothers and sisters that are suffering in Eritrea, uh, you know, and, and it's not to put anybody else down, but there are people that have left countries where they've undergone persecution. They've come to Canada, they've come to the UK, they've gone to Australia, wherever it might be, where there's more freedom and they just kind of want to leave that behind. I just want to concentrate on raising my family, being a good citizen, and you know, you know, going to church and doing, you know, maybe helping the poor, whatever in the country they're in. But for you, Dr. Burhani, why are you so passionate about the situation facing our brothers in Eritrea and and that burden that you carry? When when the government shut the church in Eritrea. Uh, I was very sad because I knew what was uh, going to come. Um, because I knew Christians were going to be arrested. So immediately I start to share the situation in my church. It was an English church. Then we start to prayer meeting. One pastor was arrested then, and we were praying for his release. But at the same time, we were praying for all Christians. And... I start to speak, and also there were some uh, Eritrean Christians who were also have similar burden. So we start to talk uh, what we should do. And at that time, our only, uh, I mean, it was natural, you know, to speak to authorities when this happened. So we went to the Eritrean embassy. So we, we complained, we say, what, what's happening? We are Eritreans, we need to, worship Christianity yeah. is faith. Uh, but we didn't get a good response from the Eritrean embassy. Actually, they tried to intimidate us. So at that time, say, oh, no, we are not going to be intimidated. So we carried on with uh, putting pressure. We were putting news. Uh, we, op we, we had a website at that time. So we start to put all news. If Christians were arrested, we were putting uh, like a press release. So uh, I start to get to invited uh, in churches uh, and also other members of Release Eritrea were also being invited. And the Eritrean church was not sure what they should do in, in the UK. Actually, finally, they tried to stop us and they warned us that we should not carry on because they were receiving pressure from the Eritrean embassy. Mm. Yeah, but uh, of course they will put pressure because they they don't want to be exposed and our job is to expose what's being done uh, inside Eritrea so we are not going to stop it finally we are forced to 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 leave the church so we carried on in English churches and uh, the same question you are asking that's what I was asking especially we are expecting a lot from those who have been released I've met several um, Christians who were in prison in Eritrea, and they don't want to talk. I met someone who was in prison for seven years, for six years, for five years, 
and who faced a lot of torture, but they don't want to talk. Well, maybe and, it's just they're they're feeling fear, or it's just such a you know a terrible thing. Again, we don't judge anybody by the actions yeah. because everybody is different, and everybody has you know certain different priorities. Uh, but I'm sure that must have been a little bit disappointing, though, that not everybody had that same desire to help our brothers and sisters in Eritrea. Yeah, we, we never judge them because we always know we are different. Some people are just, they talk like Helen Brahmin, and others, they want to stay quietly. But I don't, I don't blame them because I don't understand what's happening in their life. But for me, I... Uh, I get disappointed because I expect a lot of uh, testimonies, a lot of uh, you know people to come forward to speak. So my disappointment doesn't mean I judge them, uh, or it doesn't mean I hate them. Oh, uh, you know, in Eritrea there are two groups of Christian arrests: those who refuse to sign because uh, when they arrest you, they give you a piece of paper and it says. I've been involved in illegal activities and I will never do it again. So you have to confess like that. And some Christians say, no, it was not illegal. It's not, I don't believe it was an illegal activity. So they refused and they stay in prison for uh, 10, 15, 12 years. And others, they say, okay, we don't want to sign, but we cannot uh, tolerate the hardship. So they sign and they get released. And once they are out, sometimes there is a friction between those who signed and those who didn't sign. But we try to comfort those who sign because we believe um, they are not outcasts. They are not, uh, Jesus will never abandon them. It's the same, like Peter, uh, you know, uh, denied Jesus three times. But Jesus was praying for him. He, That's right. So we 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 believe uh, Jesus is merciful for all of them. Yeah. But uh, what I say is, especially those in leadership, Christian leadership, pastors who are in North America, in Europe, when they just forget, they don't want to say anything. For example, some of them lead big church, and even they don't contribute towards you know Christians. So that's, uh, I, I get disappointed, of course. But yeah, and, and, yeah and, and, I, and I've met believers from all over the world, and that is the situation with, uh, with many Christians. They come to another country, and they just don't want to talk about it. And I understand there's a lot of trauma. Uh, there's threats, you know, back to their families that are, you know, maybe still in Eritrea or, you know, in Nigeria, in the northern part, where, wherever it might be. So there's a lot of situations going on. And then over time, some believers, you know, they say, you know what, I haven't been involved in the past, but now I want to. And, you know, God has done a healing. So there, there's so many, uh, you know, ways to try to understand, you know, why people are like that. And I often mention the story of Peter, you know, denying Jesus three times and we know he had a pretty significant ministry. He wrote in the New Testament. He preached on the day of Pentecost, and God used him in a very, very powerful way. So, Dr. Brahani, and I want to pray in just a, full, a couple of moments here, but what are some of the things that we can be doing in a practical way? And then also, what are some of the things that we can be praying about as well? Yeah, we need to pray for change of government's policy. We, sometimes we just pray 
for the well-being of Christians in prison, it's good to pray for that. But we need a change. Uh, we need freedom. We need people to worship Jesus really. So that's one uh, um, of our prayer requests. Another thing is, for generally for the whole situation in Eritrea, uh, even non-Christians are suffering. Uh, economic difficulties and difficult to share the gospel for those, you know, with those who are, who are starving. So some, that's why sometimes we need to do, to give some practical uh, support because people are very poor uh, and they need help. So that's what we need to do, prayer and also some practical uh, help also would be good. Well, we'll continue to, you know, work with organizations, you know, Voice of the Martyrs Canada with, uh, you know, Release Eritrea and other ministries that are, you know, involved in Eritrea. I know I sit on a board that works in Ethiopia and Eritrea and uh, just doing the very best that we can uh, to encourage our brothers and sisters, you know, with the practical help, certainly they need to eat, they need to have a place to live, uh, but it's also the encouragement to know that they're not forgotten. Um, and that's, you know, it's a big part of what Voice of the Martyrs and Release Eritrea, Release International, and all the different offices around the world that are working uh, with persecuted Christians in Eritrea. So before we leave, uh, Dr. Brahani, can you pray for the situation right now in Eritrea? And I know, as you said, it's not just the Christians, evangelicals that are being put in prison, but the economy of the country uh, is terrible. So many people are suffering. So can you lead us in prayer? Yeah, sure. Lord Jesus, we want to thank you uh, for uh, giving us this opportunity to come to you with humble heart. Uh, Lord, you know the situation in Eritrea far more than us, but just we want to bring it to you because you told us if two of us agree in what we pray, you will hear our prayers. So we pray that you will bring change in Eritrea. Mm -hmm. Everything needs to be changed. A lot of people are suffering, Christians, non-Christians, because of economical situation, but also because of persecution because of prison, because of this totalitarian government who makes hard for business people, for students, for ordinary people. Now we pray that you bring change to Eritrea. All human beings are created after your own image and you don't want anybody to suffer. You died for the whole world and I believe you died for the people of Eritrea. So Lord, we pray that you bring a new a new situation in the country so we could rejoice once more. And the church can worship you freely. Or and also we pray for those who are in prison. We pray for their health, for God's provision, and we pray also for courage. We pray that your spirit would comfort them wherever they are, give them joy because they have made the best decision they can ever make in their life. It is precious when you see people suffer on your name, in your name. So Lord, I pray that you give them courage and strengthen them. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. Amen. Dr. Brahani Asmalash, thank you so much. Um, so appreciate you and all that you're doing 
and and I know it's not an easy ministry. There's lots of discouragement, and uh, but you know we just keep going, and you're keeping on going, and uh, you know uh, you know bringing us reports from from Eritrea and helping in a practical way. So. Thank you, and uh, may God continue to bless you. And let, let me just, even just before we leave, let me pray for you. Father, thank you for Dr. Brahani. Thank you, Lord, for his commitment to you. As a young man, he refused uh, to compromise his faith in Jesus. And Lord, I know that that is something that you marked him with, and you've given him that strength by your Holy Spirit. And Lord, through the years, there's been a lot of discouragement, a lot of disappointment, but there's also been a lot of joy as well uh, when we see our brothers and sisters standing up uh, for the cause of Christ and at great risk telling others about Jesus. So we thank you that we hear those testimonies too and just strengthen my brother and his family, continue to give them good health, uh, the resources they need to be effective uh, to help our brothers and sisters and the people of Eritrea. So thank you for him. I pray for uh, just again that you'll give him many, many more opportunities to serve you in Jesus' name. Amen. Dr. Brahani, again, great seeing you. Thank you for your work. Yeah, uh, we'll continue to get updates. Yeah, so, so, okay. And remember, the closer you are to Jesus, the closer you are to the fire.